0: In this episode of the Smart City Podcast, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Tim Rastel. If you missed part one, it's episode 27, and we covered Tim's background and projects he is working on, as well as where New Zealand sits when it comes to smart cities. In this episode, part two, we discuss the agile approach to building relationships and collaboration across disciplines, as well as being okay with failure. For those of you who don't know, Agile is a project methodology that started off in the software development world but is now utilised a bit more widely. Agile is is about being able to work easily and quickly and in an ever-changing environment and has tools and processes that are used to allow for this iterative approach. Enough on Agile, though. um, I'll put a link in the show notes of an article that explains it pretty well. Tim and I talk about the importance of communication in being smart, and using data to improve efficiency. Tim also has some really interesting and exciting ideas about emerging trends. So, as always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. It's the Smart City Podcast, whoa, with smart city experts, here we go, connecting smart technology, both big and small, smart cities are making life better for all, big data, emerging trends, self-driving cars and more, the Smart City Podcast is what you're looking for. Let's talk a little bit about that integration. So, how do you think that we can better integrate across the different disciplines, you know, government, academia and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure if there's a, you know, certainly not a magic bullet for that because someone would have done it if there was. The, a, a lot of it's I think about the fact that there's some very different drivers across those different sort of areas. So, you know, um, industry and you know, government and academia all have very different structures and they have very different time scales that they work against and they have, uh, a different attitude to risk. So, you know, academia will happily put a lot of money into something that won't get anywhere because it's, that's what research is. Core, you know, uh, enterprise and, and business will make considered Choices around that sort of stuff. But fundamentally, as long as they can, you know, turn that into profitable, they'll do what they need to. And I think governance tend, and government tends to be much more conservative and think much more in the long term. And because of those things, there's some very, you know, how, how do you, how do you link those things together? And particularly, how do you get those relationships between them to build? Um, you know, I think that the, when you see public private partnerships that go well, it's because there's some very clear guiding principles. And that they're taking a sort of agile approach to building them, and so agility is really a critical thing in all of this right that that there's no one can properly describe what a smart city is at the moment there's lots of ideas, but fundamentally it's too new and in fact, maybe it's not even smart city is not even the right word for for what we're trying to do, but for the the direction that's that uh, where where these things appear to be successful they're successful because people are identifying that they don't know what they need to achieve necessarily. They maybe know some sort of areas, and they take sort of agile, um, sort of rapid prototyping, fail-fast approaches to doing it. But, you know, that word fail is still a very problematic one in government, I think, in that uh, people are extremely averse to the concept of anything failing, whereas mm-hmm. it's actually where you learn the most and where you get the most benefit. Um, and so in software development, that's been properly understood, and that's why we have agile approaches. Um, and that it's the way that you develop stuff. You don't, you know, when you're making a new thing, you can't expect to get it right the first time, so you have to expect to fail, and it's that failure and the ability to be able to adapt and change that actually allows you to produce something great. Um, I haven't seen that really done properly or or, or embraced by, by government, largely because the political consequences of failure are normally pretty catastrophic. So, yeah, does that, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I was having a similar conversation about that fear of failure in government, uh, this morning. So I really um, resonate with that. And I think not only the political, um, kind of backlash that, that culture of, you know, fear of failure is entrenched is my experience. So even if, you know, uh, a, um, a person in a team, they don't want to fail either because it's in, you know, it's ingrained in them that they will be punished if, they fail or they will look silly or you know they'll be embarrassed or no one will ask them to do anything um again because they exactly failed yeah. that time yeah. and that's i agree a real issue um and something that's not going to change overnight but i think definitely we can work on improving that for sure through collaboration
1: yeah and and i think it's just around turning to to educate right and and uh, this is sort of something i haven't sort of mentioned yet but for all the fact that i you know i guess i self-describe as a technologist i'm very passionate about technology and how it can improve our lives and, and you know, and in fact the opposite of, of how it can affect us adversely that we're not thinking about sort of unexpected consequences side of technology. But um, in terms of smart cities, I think that a lot of people end up focusing very much on the technology space where the, the technology is purely, it's just an enabler. It's the thing that makes a smart city is the individuals in the city and it's the governance and it's the populace and everyone needs to, be in the right space to allow it to succeed. And if you don't have those things in place, what you end up doing is just throwing a whole bunch of tech out into a, into a city that, that may deliver some outcomes. You know, you might better optimize your traffic system or in fact, most of this is about optimization. I think you get down to it, but the, the thing that really I think makes a smart city is to be able to have the uh, cultural changes occurring both within the, the governance side of things and also within the general populace, the people who are, experiencing it um and that you need to focus on the actual outcomes of the smart city rather than just deploying tech so you know what are you trying to optimize for it you know in in new zealand the the big thing is livability you know how do you make a city more livable what what is the um what is the experience of, of visitors and and residents in the city and uh you know then obviously you you know you have to optimize for all of those other sort of more uh kind of pragmatic things like You know, economic viability and environmental sort of consequence and, and long-term planning and asset management and all those sorts of things. Right. But really, if you've got, if you cracked all of those things and you can also deliver a livable city, then you're doing pretty well. I think it's quite practical to crack all of those sort of pragmatic things and deliver a city that's horrible. Um, so you need a, you know, and, but what, but what I mean by horrible is one that people don't want to live in. Um, You know, because certainly that's what we're seeing in a few places where they're sort of tending towards uh, sort of uh um doing those things without considering the consequences. You know, there's been some good examples of stuff going on in Korea, South Korea, which for all the best intentions have been done uh to sort of build good environments, but largely because they didn't take a, you know, a prototyping approach to it. They went off and built a bunch of stuff and it turns out that people don't want to use it.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I I spent three months in South Korea um and... I talk highly of Seoul um, particularly because I think I didn't realize what a smart city was when I was there and I, I learned pretty quickly and I wasn't aware of a lot of the policy stuff and all that kind of stuff. I was just there as a um, as a citizen and I felt like I was in a smart city. However, we did go visit Songdo and, you know, that's supposed to be the smart city that they built and it was a ghost town. Because, yes,
1: Songdo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just oh, had to look at it while we were talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, did you experience that when you were there? Was that a thing that you noticed from that from that visit that it yeah. was just dead?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was a ghost town in Songdo, and like you, you, you know, you visit the the um, center there, and I mean, in in the future, it may be the place to be, but right now, which I think is what they intended it to be, that people would just flock there because um, it's a smart city. But yeah, you're right. I think that they they built it, and you know build it and they will come but nobody really came and um only the people that have to go out there who live out there because their offices got moved out there or something kind of live there so it's an interesting approach because Seoul has done so well and I think it's I mean there's all there's always problems like you know the traffic congestion is horrendous um however the public transport system is absolutely amazing but I think they have a very good um not what's the word like you've got a you've got to realize that the, the density like you were talking about in Wellington, Wellington is just like astronomical in Seoul. so many people in one space. So they've got a lot of taxpayers, a lot of people using the system. So, you know, they can afford to have that great system. In saying that though, like that doesn't mean that they, like it's not by accident that they have a great system because, you know, China, you could say the similar thing, but when I was in China, you know, I paid for a bus ticket, you know, yeah. with the, you know, and, and so, you know, the traffic, the system was not real flash there, but, um, in some cases. But, yeah, I think um, career, there's definitely you can see really good stuff happening and then, yeah, some of the stuff where maybe, yeah, they haven't quite got that rounded approach or that holistic approach. They've just gone, okay, tech, and then we'll build this and then it'll be amazing. Yeah, um, Yeah, so it is, it is interesting. And I think it, it's okay because we'll learn so much from that and the world will learn so much absolutely. from that.
1: Absolutely. A failure is where you learn the most.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: It's the the point in in any situation where you've got the highest kind of informational sort of density in terms of your, where you were and where you find yourself. Hmm. Um, you know, between those two points, right? It's when you realize you've made a mistake that you get the greatest change in knowledge. Um, but there's still a big issue, I think, with people accepting that.
0: Yeah, Um, I agree.
1: Yeah. And, you know, politically, you know, sorry, particularly in political environments. You know when you have press pre- press pressure and you know there's 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 you know negative consequences to failure. Uh, and And you're quite right that the, the stuff that needs to happen, I think is for um, for people to find ways of starting to create frameworks that allow for that to occur in a controlled way and in a way where you can manage public opinion and that people understand that it's tests and that you know you a lot of that's just PR, I think. It's about just communicating stuff properly and telling the story. Mm, um, yeah. So, you know, I think Julia mentioned the uh, our City Tomorrow project, which is one of the the current sort of Wellington ones, which is just looking at how Wellington manages growth. And they're doing some really good work with public engagement and, and communicating where they're going so that people kind of see the step-by-step process towards it. And they're sort of taking design thinking approaches in terms of going kind of wide in terms of how the idea, you know, how they sort of develop ideas and all the different approaches and what it is people are actually looking for as an outcome. And then sort of iterating through those things and pruning and, and, you know, they're gradually going down towards like a direction. So they're going to have a strategy and then not only that, but it looks like they're then going to have that continuously reviewed because obviously as things change, the strategy needs to change as well. So I think that's quite promising that stuff's happening.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that um, we need to realize that smart city professionals are not just tech people. um mm-hmm. I th- that's a big thing. Like, you know, when we talk about smart cities, it's like, oh, yeah, tech, tech, tech. And tech is obviously an amazing, you know, fundamental to a smart city, um, but it's about enabling. And someone said to me um, yesterday when I was talking that, you know, smart cities aren't necessarily, you know, you don't actually need tech to solve some of these problems. And I fundamentally agree, but it's about thinking that PR and the communication, um, I don't think we appreciate that enough because you could have a completely different outcome, the same tech, the same, um, you know, collaborative approach internally, but if you don't um, – m- no, I don't want to use the word market, but if you don't communicate well with the people that you're trying to build this for or you don't understand what it is that they actually want this for, then you're fundamentally going to fail again. And Absolutely. Yeah, so I think um we need to think about that smart city professional not just as that tech person and also that people that want to get into the smart city space, they don't have to be tech either. Um, and so, yeah, I've been talking to a lot of different people, which has been really exciting um, in all those different areas. And I think... The point of this podcast was kind of to bring all those people together uh, so then we can collaborate on a platform. So yeah, um, it's it's really interesting to hear you know, you're you're a tech person, but you appreciate that uh, communication aspect and PI aspect as well. So yeah. yeah really
1: absolutely. I mean, and it's interesting and kind of telling is, is that for all of the work we did with building sensor infrastructure and 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 you know, those kind of critical sort of underlying horizontal components of Moving cities away from these sort of siloed lumps of kind of infrastructure and, and, you know, uh, how you measure all those sorts of things and, uh, into something that is much more holistic. And, and through doing all of that work, what we've, what we built and sort of NEC continues to build, um, is largely decision making platforms. They're not things that are about. The actual sensors themselves they're about aggregating the data from the sensors but you know the sensors include humans it's the you know the the things that people have written down and phoned in about and and you know the the data from Third parties like sort of police or ambulance or the people who clean up tagging on the streets or empty the trash cans. And, you know, there's not necessarily IoT kind of technology coming off a, off a can, uh, for trash can or whatever. It, it's, you know, it can be about someone's experience in the street. But you need to pull all of that together into a single framework and platform and put it in the right context and make sure that it overlaps in a way that means that you can look at two of those bits of data and derive some sort of meaning from that overlap you know what is the context where's the insight um, and that's actually the stuff that is like it's not about ai and it's not about deploying lots of sensors just by doing those things there's still huge value because it turns out the cities aren't have historically not been very good at pulling those things together like um, any kind of governance system i think will tend towards sort of a bureaucratic approach to the way that it sort of runs just because that's the, the nature of the beast and and in those circumstances, you tend to find that they silo. So you have the people who look after parking and you have the people who look after the transport system and you have the people who look after water care and all those sorts of things, all in their little kind of offices, they're in different floors and so on. And they're all working for the same group, but they they get to a sort of critical mass in terms of them sort of turning into tribes. And then you find barriers erected in terms of information sharing and that everyone's so busy they don't talk to each other. And, and that's, you know, so you get these kind of little groups who are effectively little separate companies that um, the data that goes between them, their IO, as I sort of refer to it, is pretty limited. Um, and that's just by fixing that, you can make a city much, much smarter. Just by making it easier for people to communicate and for people to know what everyone else is doing. You know, it's the classic sort of, you know, they dug up the road to put a pipe in this week and then they dug it up the next week to put another pipe in, right? And And that's a communication issue, right? if those two parties knew that they were they're both intending to do that, they could have done it together. And, you know, that, that sort of stuff's getting fixed. But there's, a, there's a second order sort of stuff in terms of cities that there's still very much burgeoning in terms of just putting data together and then looking outside of the governance itself and then talking to everyone else. So what are the citizens saying? What are they thinking? And, I you know, I don't think that's about sort of watching what's happening on Twitter. It's about finding the right ways of gathering that information, you know, putting in census information, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, you're 100% right about a smart city in, you know, the smart city is where we don't dig up the same road twice to do the same job. Um, and that's nothing about technology. No piece of technology will save you on that, but it's all about communication. You can use technology to enable that communication, but fundamentally it's the communication that's the issue. Um, yeah, construction itself. I had a really great conversation with, um, Brittany Campbell Turner. Um, I think it went out this week and just talking about inefficiencies in construction. Um, I used to work in construction and so I just saw so much. There is so, so, so much potential and we, we don't talk about it enough, um, for sure because I, I don't, I can't work out why, but it's not an office environment, I guess. So it's people think it's a little bit too hard or that's the way it is and that's why it's always going to be. But there's so much potential. Like, I mean, I was even talking to somebody yesterday about simple things like, um, when they're in their piece of uh, machinery that they're driving around like just having an ipad so then the office can communicate with them um, and just say this is your next job tick yep and you can click on that and you can sign off and all that kind of stuff um, instead of having for them to pull over on the side of the road answer their phone and go yep okay i'm going to this job oh text me the address and then you know waiting for the you know those type of things absolutely
1: that- just like removing those things but a lot of the time it because none of that's just ever measured and that's where the the kind of sensing stuff comes in is that it's only in when you measure that stuff and actually look at it objectively rather than sort of opinion driven sort of stuff where you you can actually say, well, hang on, this, this digger spends, you know, uh, 75% of its time stationary. Yes. That's not a good use of that expensive resource. How do we maximize that? Right. And it's optimization again, that, that it's, But it, and that's where the technology comes in, in terms of the fact that by attaching, you know, an IMU and a smartphone to that digger, you know, when it's moving and that, suddenly it gives you information. But you need to kind of firstly know that you don't know and you shouldn't just be using the anecdotal information. You actually need to go off and test that and do some science. And then what are the options in terms of being able to improve it? Because it may be that that's actually as efficient as it can be.
0: Yep, 100%.
1: So, yeah, it's interesting. It's a good analogy, the building industry, because it has a – yeah, and it's definitely ripe for some disruption.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, too – you've got to make sure that you bring those people that are in those machines along the journey because they, that's like, when you, when people are tracked for want of a better word, then they they are, they are feel like they're not trusted and all that kind of stuff. But what, but it's definitely not about, I mean, some things, some people might be wanting to do that, but, you know, that's not what we're talking about here, but it's about, okay, well, I want to make best use of your time and my time. So how, how are we going to do that together? And then also, um, if you don't bring them along for the journey, then yeah, you definitely won't get those efficiencies because people have workarounds. Uh, that yeah, that's game. right. They will
1: find a way of gaming it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that you, you're quite right that you do need to have to bring people into it. And there's always, you know, with any of those kind of things, there's always casualties. There's always. I don't mean that in terms of sort of physical damage. I just mean in terms of the fact that some people will be resistant to it and, and often that resistance needs to be overcome. But once again, that's sort of PR and marketing, right? There's a there's a way of presenting their stories so that people will buy into it. Whereas if you just force it on them, then quite often that's where you see the problems. Yeah, definitely.
0: Wow, we've had some really great conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's, let's um, just talk a little bit about emerging trends. And what I want to ask you is, what are the ones you think that people aren't talking about at the moment?
1: Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I've listened to a fair few of your podcasts, and so I'm trying to avoid things that people have covered before, and I apologize if I end up doing that. No,
0: that's
1: um, right. I think that there's, I, I, there's a thing that I kind of refer to, which is what I call second-order effects. So that's where uh, Uber is a good example. Uber is a second-order effect as far as I'm concerned. It was only by having enough smartphones with enough GPS and enough sort of People out there with vehicles and connecting all those things that ride sharing became possible. No one predicted ride sharing when we were talking about smartphones 10 years ago. So that came about because of a whole series of things that, you know, in the Venn diagram that eventually overlapped. And then in the middle of that was ride sharing. And I think there's going to be similar stuff occurring with, with cities over the next five to 10. I think it will take longer with cities because adoption's slower. Um, if you, if you're talking at those kind of timeframes, I think that there's a combat, there's a, accumulation of sensing technology, real, real time, particularly. So very frequent information, um, and machine learning that means that you'll, could potentially get to a stage where you'll have cities, um, become much more aware of themselves in an automated way. And I don't mean sort of them becoming sort of sentient and, you know, uh, you know, sort of some sort of Skynet scenario. I mean, much more around the fact that with enough input data and enough sort of training information, You can get to the stage where a city can identify a problem occurring or the city platform can identify a problem occurring well in advance of a human. And then actually the next thing is to start creating a feedback loop where it's got the ability to actuate some sort of change to avoid that. Um, Uh That only comes about with Uh lots of data. You need need to have gathered quite a lot of data to achieve that and you need to have, um, I think, spend quite a lot of time looking at the consequences of taking those approaches, obviously, because what you don't want is for it to make a mistake and sort of shut the city down. So I think that's, that's something that'll start to come to the fore. And you'll see startups appearing in the next few years. who are going to be looking at that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um,
1: the other stuff I think is that I think people are not taking the idea that we might have flying vehicles in cities as seriously as they should. Yep. Has anyone else covered that?
0: No, not, not yet. I, I do want to get Catherine Ball on um, about drones um, but, yeah, no, definitely.
1: This is actually less about drones and more about actually flying taxis. Yeah. Um, yeah. New Zealand's kind of, I mean, it, this the, this kind of sort of happened sort of uh, not so long ago, but one of the, I think, Larry Page's um, flying taxi company, the name of which I now forget, um, is going to be doing trials in New Zealand.
0: Okay.
1: Um, New Zealand's quite a good place to do that for a number of reasons, but um, there's also a company in China called Ehang, I don't know if you've seen, you might have seen their sort of videos, which is kind of like, it's just a big quadcopter with a, with a capsule in the center of it. Um, that stuff will commoditize very quickly because they're very simple devices. The work with drones, I think, is meant that the flight control systems are getting very sophisticated and in the advent of much better, uh, spatial sensing is going to mean that they become very good at avoiding things and not crashing. And if you think about the problems that we're going to have with deploying autonomous vehicles out in the world, EG, they have to exist on roads with humans driving, Um, and we really don't know what the consequences of that are. I strongly suspect that people will mess with autonomous vehicles. Uh, You know, they will just take advantage of the fact that they will stop. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it may actually be that just, you know, putting money and time and energy into things that fly you know, in very clear airspace, direct point-to-point paths, um, and that maybe the, the 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 tail end of those journeys are done using you know ride sharing or whatever um, is more likely than people are expecting, and that there's probably some interesting areas to sort of explore there.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, that's really interesting. Like, okay, let's. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this as well, mainly on a like a drone delivery kind of sense or whatever. But why why not like You know, autonomous vehicles, like you said, we have to deal with them driving with um, unpredictable uh, humans that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, well, you know, you could just grade, separate it, and here we go. We're we're in the air. That's
1: right. I mean, the airspace is is easy to manage, and particularly if everything is automatic. And that's the thing is that with that kind of technology, you're going to start with these things flying themselves. You're not going to put the human in control. You know, the human has maybe the ability to press a button to make it land safely. If they want to abort a a situation, but you know, it's going to be very easy to make those things very safe as well. You know, people are concerned about, you know, the flying brick sort of problem, but fundamentally, the way that you can manage, you don't have to be particularly high off the ground. Uh, and there's lots of safety stuff you can do with them. So I think that'll come along much more quickly than people are expecting, and largely just because economically it's going to be more viable than autonomous vehicles that is going to be expensive and problematic for a whole range of reasons.
0: Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. Oh, we've had such a great conversation, and um, so I really only just have one last question, which is um, how can people connect with you?
1: Uh, yep, so they can get me on Twitter, which is at Tim Rastall, that's T-I-M-R-A-S-T-A-L-L. You can also get me at my consulting company, which is Tim. tim.restle, same at NZ. so that's I-S-E N-Z. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn um, or just if you're in Wellington, you'll probably just see me wandering around on the street.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll put all those links and everything in the show notes. And I think we've got so much more to talk about um, maybe at a later stage for sure. Uh, so, yeah, it's been so great to talk to you this morning, Tim.
1: Oh, you too. This has been really great, and, um, yeah, I look forward to further conversations. So thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And, yeah, we'll definitely talk again soon. Cool. Thank you. See you. Bye. It's the Smart City Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart City Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes can be found at thesmartcitypodcast.com. If you have any questions or comments for me or any of my guests, connect with me via email zoe at thesmartcitypodcast.com or via the socials. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Smart City Pod. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart it. City Podcast is what you're looking for.